the Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, author of the Cannabis Business Book, and you're listening to the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, where I chat with and coach the highest performing entrepreneurs in the cannabis industry. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. The Cannabis Business Coach. Hi, Mike Z here, and on today's episode of the Cannabis Business Coach Podcast, I'm joined by Andrew Lobo, the CEO of Kinslips, which is a maker of sublingual cannabis products. They're wonderful products. I can personally attest to them. Andrew, thank you so much for being here today. And if you don't mind, can you tell the folks at home or wherever they're tuning in from a little more about yourself and your background? Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for uh, the intro, Michael. And uh, I'm excited to be here. This is uh, this is fun to tell you about Kinslips. So. Uh, as Michael said, I'm the CEO of Kinslips. We are the market leader in sublingual cannabis-infused strips in California and Canada, which makes us the global leader. Uh, we're based in Richmond, California. We make every one of our own products, and we distribute it through the legal channels um, uh, via third-party distribution in California. So we've got a lot of very exciting bl- uh, blends, and we hope to, get, hope to tell you more about that today. Um, my background real quick. Um, I um, come to Kinslips um, via uh, another cannabis company that we merged with it recently. And then uh, prior to that, I, I had a long tenure of investing in, in really good businesses and, and learning um, their business models and trying to um, really figure out what works and what doesn't work in the business world. So I'm excited to, to get some of Mike's opinions about that today. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'm curious if you can share a little more about your business background before cannabis, and then also how or why did you decide to get into the cannabis world or the cannabis industry? Sure. So I spent, uh, I was I was a business major in college at uh, University of Richmond in Virginia. And I, I always had a passion for learning about why businesses were set up the way they were uh, what really made them tick, what the consumer revenue model was, and what their value proposition was. And um, that led me to a, an early career in investment banking, uh, working with some of the, the top um, clients of, of major investment banks, getting to meet their management teams, work, interviewing CEOs and CFOs, and understanding why they thought they had the best business in the industry and how they were continuing to grow it. Um, and from that, I transitioned to private equity, where I would be investing into those companies, uh, cre- both credit and equity investments in all these companies. And I spent you know, 13 years getting to meet uh, and sit down with these, these fascinating entrepreneurs who had grown their businesses, um, some major market companies where people had worked up the corporate ladders, and getting to just understand uh, what it took to really get to the top and really to, to build these businesses. And that was so much fun for me. Um, and then when you know, cannabis legalization happened at just the right time for me. So I was looking to see how I could turn a career from um, being an investor and helping companies grow to being the one, being the creator uh, and really put it, putting my stamp on something and doing something fun and amazing. And cannabis legalization was happening at the same time. And it was an industry where one of the u- unique industries where you are getting to really help people with real problems and real ailments um, and at the same time, the industry is so nascent that you can shape it and you can leave a lasting mark on, on how you want it to be and what you're going to contribute to that industry. Um, and finally, you know, I, I waited a bit until I think 2019 or so to come into the industry because I, I wanted to come into something that was really innovative and unique. And it came along with a company called Olo, which 
uh, created a sublingual strip. Um, very, it was a direct competitor to Kinslips today. And they just absolutely wowed me. The product was um, five years ahead of its time. And it was something that um, really was science and science-based and really had a true mission to actually improve cannabis use for everyone. So that's how I jumped in. I moved to California, um, uh, took the leap of faith, left New York City um, to go do what I really wanted to do after, after absolutely loving New York and to take, take a risk and go somewhere where I didn't know anybody. Um, and it paid off because I think um, we're getting to do all the things that I want to do is to be a creator, to make awesome products and to, and to really to shape the industry. Fantastic. And one thing I want to highlight from your story, which I, I always tell people, you have, you're going to have to make some kind of sacrifice or take some kind of risk to get into this space, especially as an entrepreneur. And, you know, I'm hearing you say, Andrew, that you, you left New York, New York City, and went across the country to California to pursue being in the cannabis industry. And it's certainly a big move, a bold move. And, you know, the fact that you're willing to do it is a testament to how much you probably wanted to be in this industry, I'm guessing. So yeah. I'm curious if there, if you had any kind of personal relationship with cannabis or personal interest in it before uh, deciding to enter the industry, or, or was it more what you mentioned around, hey, here's a booming industry where there's an opportunity to make real impact, create real legacy. And, and by the way, it's something that's helping millions of people to live m more healthy, less painful lives. Yeah, I think that's, that's really interesting. So I, w I was, I'm not a, uh, I was not a, like a heavy cannabis user, but I, 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 you know, I always enjoyed the aspects of it whenever, when it was ever was available. I was an East coaster where it's, you know, it's always illegal and I, you know, it's always played within the lines, but the more and more science and research came to me, the more and more I, I found ways that um, the minor cannabinoids and CBD and CBD would, some THC for the entourage effect could really uh, improve my life, improve those in my family, people who have arthritis. Um, I saw it around me. Um, and the more and more I talk to people about it, the more it, it's still somewhat of a, a hidden industry uh, until maybe the last year on the East Coast. So people don't admit to you that they're using cannabis until you tell them, oh, I work in the cannabis industry. And all of a sudden, then they tell you how, how, how much it improved their life and how great it is. And they, and they spill, spill the beans all of a sudden. Um, so I was like that too. Um, and, and so for me, it was it was um, it was starting to see the research starting to prove out that this was not just a um, a purely um, get high is the only part of this industry, and and it was it was more than that. It was um, there's the recreational piece, and that certainly includes that, but there was there were so many other pieces, and that's how I I really got convinced that that plus the trajectory and the and the the booming nature of the industry really really pulled me into it, but. But I'll tell you though, it's. I think you hit on a, a great point. Is that this? Uh, you've got to make a sacrifice. Um, I left. I went. I moved to a city. I didn't know a single person. I worked. Um, I moved from uh, one of these big, big office buildings. Uh, you know, looking over Central Park um, in my office to a um, to a storage unit in a in a basically a self storage unit uh, with no window. Um, and that was my office. Uh, it, we found out within two years, right after I left the storage unit, that it was not sanctioned for, for use for um, office space. And, and it was not <laughs> the fire code violated, but, but that, that was a sacrifice. And I moved to then a mobile trailer in a parking lot uh, as an office. And, and that was outside our factory. So that, 
that was the change. I went from you know a New York City office tower to a, a storage unit to a trailer, um, and and you just gotta gotta roll with it. And, and if you know if you're not a if you're not that type of entrepreneur, it's it's uh, that risk is is tougher and, and scarier um, uh, for many reasons. So. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And so I think you said that was 2019 when yeah. you made that move. And I know that at the end of 2020, Olo and Kinslips merged, right? And you became the CEO of Kinslips. So I'm curious if you can just tell me a little bit of that journey from, uh, you know, from kind of starting with Olo and then know how did that merger come to be how did you end up be becoming ceo and then also you know how have things gone since that merger because now that's been almost a year and uh yeah so i'm just curious that's a, a whole bunch of questions in there but uh yeah i'd love to hear some of some of that story from you absolutely so uh, so ola was uh, probably what i'd say is a second mover in the industry kim flips was the first mover and they were direct competitors but in a in a sector, the sublingual sector, we can talk about later, is, is that it's so small that um, that we weren't really competing with each other. We were competing just to win consumer awareness and education in the market and just to grow generally. So what we realized is, and COVID really accelerated this, is that you know we're we're two companies doing the same, very similar things. We both make fantastic products. Kinslips is the market leader. Olo had the best in class manufacturing technology. It invested uh, millions of dollars into um, um, automated manufacturing facility, um, food grade uh, setup. So it's full clean room. It, it's pretty, it was pretty amazing. And Kinslips had a more manual process, but had a really good brand because they'd done a really good job creating a lifestyle brand uh, and unique experiences um, that really fit their target demographic. And we got together during COVID because you know, during the first few months of COVID, we were afraid to even send our employees into the factory because um, we were basically almost shut down from a production standpoint, we had product in market. Um, and we started talking about, you know, this thing's gonna start turning, we're gonna go back to work soon. How do we, um, how could we work together? And eventually the, the conversation turned into a full-blown merger of almost of equals, um, where we said, there's no reason for us to, to both have to try to educate the whole market individually. We could do this together best brand in the best brand in sublinguals, best manufacturing sublinguals, put it together, rate. And, and you know what really worked in the mergers? The people got along. Um, the people is, is the, even in a small company merger and big company mergers, there's huge culture differences, but even in small companies, um, you've got to really like the people you work with. You got to think the same way. And we're all kind of data-driven, thoughtful, uh, analytical people that are really kind of to the point and we're all workers. Um, that's that's the hardest thing of these startup environments is, you know, it's, um, we have all these titles and they're great, but the fact is I still have to do uh, everything I did before with a new title um, and, and, and plus all the, all the things that come with a new title. So so to, your, to the next part of your question is, is taking over the CEO role. So I had worked at Olo in the COO and CFO role. So really when you were in those two roles, you learn, a manufacturing company inside and out. You learn uh, the sales, you learn how the product is made, you learn how the assembly line works, um, and you know where the strengths and weaknesses are. Um, and then on the and then you learn the financials of it uh, from the CFO role. So I had I had really known it inside and out. And when we put these two companies together, it really worked well because 
we looked at the talents of the, the three senior management members and my colleagues, Ron and Josh, they, they co-founded Kinflips together. And, and Ron is an incredible people person. He, he's, he's a business builder. He's a, he's a big high level thinker who can, who can really uh, expand a business. And he wants to be the chief revenue officer. And that was something that he had the ambition for. He was, he'd been in a similar role to, to myself, to COO, CFO before. Um, and he had that natural talent and it just wasn't unlocked because they didn't have, um, he was getting bogged down in administrative tasks. And Josh was the CEO of Kinslips, and he created the first Kinslip. His super talent is in the lab, making awesome products, figuring out how cannabinoids work, doing the research, doing the real R&D. And he was bogged down by the administrative stuff of being the CEO and having to, uh, you know, represent the company and, and do a lot of things that took away from um, his, you know, extreme level of talent in the lab. So um, my coming in, I, and, and this is where that, 13 years of Wall Street came in is and really understanding how businesses work and just knowing right away like how HR sales uh, operations vertical integration you know all that kind of stuff flows together it all all the pieces came together all of a sudden so I'd spent the year uh, you know in the trailer uh, on site and that paid huge dividends when when this merger came together so I stepped in um, and it's been good so to, to the next question of how it's going it feels almost like even though Kinslips, you know, launched in late 2016 and Olo came along in 2018, it feels almost like a new company out of the gates with a very loyal follower base uh, of users. I think that's that's what's exciting is we're, we're winning. We had to win back a lot of accounts that were gone during COVID, um, and we've done that. We've really increased our presence. I think we are, you know, now we're winning. Like we're on ease. We're in some of these really great. Uh, MedMen, Caliva, uh, like Sava, like really great uh, dispensary partners. And there's more that I've, I've forgotten the name, but there's, it, it feels like the momentum is starting to swing in the right direction uh, coming out of the gates. Um, we're getting the right type of demographics. We're starting digital marketing. We're doing a lot of things that we never could do before because we have the management team, the right people in the right places, and we have the right supporting cast of a really good plant manager, a really good internal sales manager who used to be at Olo and came over. Um, it's, it's a lean um, fit team that is ready to grow the business. Awesome. And so as a quick follow-up to that, I heard you mention some of the other executives and the, the co-founders for, for Kinslips and kind of their superpowers. So I'm curious, what is your highest power or superpower that allows you to, to succeed or thrive in, in business? Well, you know, frankly, what, the one thing I've learned from this role is that the CEO, and particularly in a startup environment, has to be an amazingly good decision maker. Like, my job is to make the right decision 99% of the time. Um, because in, in a startup, if you make the wrong decision, you may not live to, to make another decision. Um, so it's, it's, it's having that ability to make the judgment and to think about when everybody's pulling you in one direction or the other as a CEO. And telling you, I think I want to do this, and I want to do this, and you have to kind of have the backbone to say, no, that's the wrong decision, and why. Um, and especially in an environment like this, right, where I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stewarding a company um, that the two co-founders are, are in different roles, and um, I have to, you know, we have a, I, I'm also kind of navigating the sh the ship that these guys built as well to some degree, right? So um, you have to kind of be really strong in your conviction about what you want to do 
and have some good and good judgment and sound judgment behind it. That's that's the hardest part of this role is to for me to actually think through every decision and be thoughtful about it and make time to to not just say do do what you like uh, in certain things. So so that's 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 really what my superpower is is that I I have that business sense that I got from all these years and I can I can kind of see what the future will play out depending on what decision I make. Got it. Okay. Awesome. So I'm hearing it's the ability to make decisions and especially to, to see how business decisions will play out over time and be able to kind of forecast and, and make the decisions based on, you know, a couple of steps ahead, not just what what's here and now. Yeah, I'd say that's it. And I'll give you one more just to, for given the environment, because of the way the cannabis industry is, is had its ups and downs, it's the ability to navigate a, a company on a very lean capital base. And it, it is, you know, if we had five times as much money as we had today, this would be a really easy job for almost anybody to do. Um, but because we don't, we have to think about how to be scrappy and, and everybody in this company has to hustle in some way or another. Um, and, it, and part of my job is to build that culture of, of making every employee think about if this was our last $50, is this where I'd want to spend it? Um, and putting that mindset in, not to the effect that it, it cripples them and slows them down in their job, but it, it makes everybody think about, you know, how can I best use this money to support the company and the shareholders? Awesome. Yeah. So kind of modeling that, that scrappiness and making sure that, that, that permeates from the top down to everyone and, and they're thinking like an entrepreneur, which quite frankly, I, I tell people all the time, if you want to be in this industry, you have to be entrepreneurial, even as an employee because it's an entrepreneurial industry. And to your point, even as you know, the global market leader in the sublingual category, yeah. you're still running lean you know, yeah. compared to other industries. So um, anyway, with that being said, I, I wanna take a step back and I realize I, I skipped over this, but some folks listening might not even know what sublinguals are or why sublinguals are great. And so, I want to turn it over to you to just offer like a really high level, you know, overview of the product itself. So, so folks know what sublinguals are all about and why they should care. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's a great point. So I think this is something that we have spent a lot of time thinking about how to really give this message to, to everyone. Uh, and you, and you ask at just the right time, we're, we're in process of uh, forming a sublingual uh, cannabis product trade association uh, that'll be out in a few weeks just for this exact point. So, so sublinguals, um, and I had the benefit of, of taking, taking five years of Latin in school. So um, it comes from the Latin word sub, S-U-B, and, and lingua tongue. So under, sub means under and lingua tongue. So under your tongue. And they call them that because the goal of a sublingual product is to have its active ingredients absorbed by the membranes under your tongue and at the bottom of your mouth. And from there, they go directly into the bloodstream and they skip going through the digestive tract and going through uh, first pass metabolism. And you get the product into your bloodstream in the healthiest way possible because um, you are not exposing your lungs to any sort of smoke or vape uh, uh, inhalation method. You are not consuming any um, sugar. Uh, the product of our particular product that's sublingual is, is all natural, non-GMO, um, vegan, gluten-free. So you are effectively getting cannabis in the healthiest manner on the planet. So that's, that's pretty exciting. And then um, what's neat about it versus other methods is 
when you take a cannabis product sublingually, you are getting the Delta 9 THC that you would get from smoking or vaping, and you're getting the exact um, the exact same THC compound versus if you took it through an edible or a uh, beverage product, uh, it would be converting to 11-hydroxy THC in your stomach and, and liver, and you would get actually a different compound affecting you, uh, which is a little more volatile and is, um, for the most part, um, the effects you would feel would be based on what else you also did that day, like what food is in your system, what you drank, and what time of day it is, and all these, and your metabolism at that point in the day. So you have a lot of other factors that affect uh, your experience with cannabis that you don't get uh, with sublinguals. So that's that's the big thing I would point out to a lot of people is uh, that's that's what sublinguals are, and um, they're used in other uh, pharmaceutical uses, but they're new to most consumers who haven't had to take a drug through that through that format before. Right. And the other point that I would add is, you know, as far as dosing, you know, with the sublingual, you know exactly what you're getting. It's, it's precise. You know, there's no guessing game. And to the point with, with edibles where, you know, maybe if you just ate or whatever, it, you might take the same amount or whatnot on two different days and have two very different effects. Uh, am I under, am I correct in yeah. understanding that with a sublingual, that's not a factor. It doesn't really matter if you, you know, if you just had a big meal versus not or whatever, you know, you take your, your little strip and you're getting your 10 milligrams or whatnot, regardless. Yeah. For the most part, I think that's true. I think it's not so much what you eat, but it's possible the time of day and your metabolism and, and what else is going on can affect uh, the, the rate your body metabolizes the the cannabinoids in and out of the system. But, but for the most part, I think you're absolutely right is you're going to get your um, whatever the absorption rate of, of sublingual is. Some people say it's as high as 75% of the cannabis gets absorbed and, and actually makes it into the, into the system. Um, I think it's like between 10 and 20% of, of edibles actually make it through. So when they say it's a 20 milligram piece or a 10 milligram piece, it makes a big difference, which method it goes through. Um, and what, in terms of what compound you get and how much it gets absorbed. Uh, and smoking has its own ratio too that uh, the scientists are continuing to work on of how much of of the five milligrams or, or from a, a puff of a vape actually makes it into your your bloodstream. So, you know, it's um, it, you're, you're spot on with, with that. Is that I think you get consistency and reliability, and that's kind of what what we tell people is that you know that you're going to get a pro whatever that percentage of absorption of a five milligram or ten milligram strip is. We we are very precise in the way we cut the strips to the exact uh, amount so that it's not like you ate the, the wrong end of the gummy bear and you got the, the 10 milligram side versus the five milligram side because it wasn't mixed properly. It's, it's perfectly emulsified um, so that you, you can cut it to the exact proportion of the five or 10 milligrams you want. Right, and I, I just wanna highlight that last point for, for people that may not be aware, but oftentimes if you're, especially if you're getting edibles that are from unregulated sources, we'll say, you know, oftentimes it isn't made correctly and you have that exact problem that I, I think a lot of folks are not aware of, or the average consumer, if there is such a thing, is not aware that, you know, you could have a brownie that has a hundred milligrams in it, for example, but 90 of those milligrams could be in, you know, one tiny bite and the rest could be elsewhere if, if the person who prepared it 
didn't really know what they were doing, which <laughs> as I've found over the years, the majority of people don't really know what they're doing. And so, you know, with the sublingual, you don't have that issue because it's just, you have this tiny little strip, you know, you put it under your tongue and then a couple, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember what the exact onset time was when I had a kin slip recently, but I think it was something like 15 minutes later, 15, 20 yeah. minutes later, I was feeling pretty good. And, and then the, what, what I really enjoy about sublinguals in particular is, you know, it's like that feeling lasted me most of the day. Like it wasn't like I, you know, took a puff of a J or a vape or whatever. And then an hour or two later, I'm feeling a little groggy or whatever, like, yeah. You know, I had that that kin slip and, you know, I, I had a beautiful day that day. I, I remember that very clearly. <laughs> Let me ask you a question on, as far as innovation, R&D, and the future of sublinguals. You know, what does that look like from your perspective? Because I, I guess I'm wondering more specifically, you know, are, are we going to see faster onset times? Are we going to see, you know, sublingual be able to match smoking as far as instant effect or, or close to it? And, and I, I imagine the answer is yes. And it's just a question of how soon, but, you know, I'm curious to, to hear from you since you're really, you know, in, yeah. in the know. I can tell you about kin slips, but I can also tell you that within the sublingual category, there's people who are different, who are angling in different ways. So there are, there are players who are going for speed. Absolutely. Like they said, you know, we, we claim about 10 minutes or so, which is what we've got from our, our data of, of onset time. But there are other players in the industry who, who think that the key to unlocking the whole uh, inhalables market is really to match the speed of inhalables, which is, you know, maybe it's uh, three to five minutes or, or whatever it might be. Um, and there's certainly a path to get there on that. Um, but for us and for the, the consumers that we've targeted, it's less about the speed. Nobody's ever complained to us that um, it, it took 10 minutes and I really would have liked it to have taken five and, I, and that's why I'm not gonna switch to using sublinguals. Um, you know, th there is probably some population that, that when they need a hit of, of a certain feeling, they need it fast and, and, and we'd like to address that, but it it's not at the top of our list at the very, at the next one. We can certainly go to smaller molecule sizes to help that. Um, that that is on our radar to have things to do. I think we might stumble into a lower um, onset time just by by our work that we're doing anyways. Um, but what's more interesting on the R and D front is is for us is that we we are um, working on new experiences and work with more minor cannabinoids. Um, we've got something very exciting coming with THCA in, in a couple of months, um, like a re very just daytime relaxing. Uh, even a non-psychoactive product, um, but it, it works great during the workday. And then potentially a night version of that as well, um, potentially with THC. And then what we think might actually unlock much of the, uh, the traditional uh, inhalable market is actually starting to go towards strains. Um, and really going to these consumers who, who, who just are either connoisseurs or they just love identifying strains, trying new strains. And because some legals are actually probably the only format outside of inhalables that can actually deliver the exact strain um, 
because uh, they deliver all the terpenes and the, the, the cannabinoids in the mouth, and they don't go, go get messed up through the digestive tract, that you can get exactly the terpenes and the oils and all of that stuff that's in the plant or in the flower um, into your body right through the mouth, and you'll get the exact same or better strain experience. So that is something that's super exciting um, that we are working on. Um, and I think that could be just a total game changer for, for many of the inhalable users who, who have been you know, kind of on the fence about, well, I don't really know what a, a kinslip float on is, but I know what wedding cake is. Um, but we, we are gonna be able to, ones to be able to put, this is the wedding cake strip from the wedding cake flower. Um, so that, that could be super awesome. Wow, yeah. That that is really cool, I, and um, I'm wondering because I, when I remember taking your product, it was, you know, it doesn't really taste like cannabis, right? Because mm -hmm. and I, I I don't imagine that it, it's supposed to, right? It, it was like it it was more like I don't know if I should say this, but you know, if it really offends you, I can cut it out. But for me, it, it was like candy almost, you know, it was like pleasant. And, you know, it's for anyone who hasn't had one, it's, it's similar to like a Listerine strip, except those are kind of disgusting. Whereas this was like very pleasant and almost like, uh, like I had just chewed some bubble gum or something like, you know, it was a very pleasant mouth feel or taste or whatever. Um, so I'm curious when you're saying having like specific strain specific strips, it would be more about having the effect of that strain as opposed to, you know, like, oh, this is like a really gassy or this is like a really sweet or, or are you able to kind of match that experience as well with the, with the strips? So you just asked the, the question that uh, we've been talking about for six months <laughs> is that do we want this to depending on the user who this is do we want this to, to when they open the strip to smell like a bag of weed taste like uh, weed and, and whatever and and so we've and I can tell you it's it's still in process so there's no it's not finalized but it's um, I think there will be a flavor to it like a lemon or there'll be, you know there'll be some flavor to them that so that it won't be so bitter or and it'll it'll have a have a unique taste to it but it will be more aromatic it'll be more more something that somebody's accustomed to uh an inhalable product will enjoy uh from from the touch and feel and the smell uh before they actually put it in their mouth um but then you're absolutely spot on once it's once they're put it under their tongue then it's going to be exactly the same experience um from a terpene and effect and you know and um in, in the in both mental and bodily effect of, of how that strain works cool and this is maybe a crazy question and feel free not to answer it if it's like you know getting too into the proprietary future kind of product line whatever but is there a future in which there will be the opportunity for customization from the consumer where, for example, if, if let's say I want to be able to design, you know, I want like this blend of terpenes or this amount of cannabinoids where, you know, and maybe the minimum order is like, well, whatever, a thousand strips or whatever, I don't know. But is that something that is feasible or, or would even make sense from a manufacturing standpoint where once consumers are much more sophisticated and have that 
kind of personal preference down to to the terpene level, which you know may may never happen. Who knows? But is that something that is uh, is on the roadmap at all? And feel free to not answer if you don't want to. It's probably not at the roadmap of a on a customer by customer basis. I'd say making very specific blends for a dispensary or a brand partner uh, who says, hey, we, we have a, a big customer base that loves this uh, limonene terpene uh, with uh, this THC to CBD ratio. And we'd like you to make a special product and a co-branded effort. Um, that's on the radar. I'd say uh, just because of this is one thing I, um, I mentioned is that we're like automated mass scale factory. So we're putting out 50,000 strips in a batch. Um, so unless we have a consumer who wants 50,000 of, of uh, that very particular blend, it's, it's a little tougher for us to make custom uh, blends uh, for individuals at this point. Got it. All right. Awesome. Well, I, it's something that I'm always interested in is that, yeah. that kind of personalized cannabis experience. And again, just a, just a fun question for, for my, my entertainment. But uh, to shift gears, I want to ask you, what are you most excited about right now as far as either Kinslips or the cannabis industry overall, or even just outside of any of that? Yeah. If there, yeah. You know, I, I'd say for, for Kinslips, I'm excited because I think these new products we're working on are actually, one, they're really good. And it's the first time we're putting on new blends in, in probably two years plus, just because of the way the ups and downs of California have been in, in the market. I think we're actually getting to do, because of this management realignment, we're actually going to do real R&D again and really putting out great products. Um, you know, one of the things that came together um, that I didn't mention, when Olo and Kinslips merged, it brought the best uh, flavors and taste of the strips together. So I think you know, Legacy Kinslips uh, tastes a little bit different. Um, they didn't have some of the all-natural taste masking and some of the, the things that that Olo had and bringing that together for the first time, we have the best product we've ever had. Um, and it's, and, and if, and you've had it and, and you know exactly what it is. And so um, it feels like we're building off the best and that there's nothing holding us back from the actual product or there's no way, there's no, um, there's no veto um, argument anymore to why not take a, a sublingual strip anymore. So that's super exciting. And then what we're doing with these minor cannabinoids is really fun. Like we were with one of the first on CBN, um, will be one of the first to really make a, a product that actually works in THCA um, and that people want to use. And then I think there's a few others, um, CBG we're looking at, CBC potentially, and a few other interesting mixes with the right terpene blends that I think we can be pioneering in. So that that's what excites me at the company level. What excites me at the uh, kind of the market level is that now the science and the research is finally going to start coming along to, to actually help us like with some of this R and D and it was, it's, it's great when we're in the lab and we can do it and we can send a test batch to people and we can come up with what it feels like and what it does, but we can actually now leverage um, real research, medical cannabis research reports pretty soon. They can really, um, and along with everybody else in the industry can also start accessing it. We can become a, a science first industry uh, rather than a, you know, uh, somewhat of a, a celebrity first industry, which is, it's been for some brands, right? It's, uh, we're, we're not quite one of those at the, this point, but, you know, we really are our product first company. And so if the emphasis goes to what the product does and, and, and um, the science behind it, that'll favor us. Awesome. All right, cool. And 
what advice do you have for people that either want to get involved in the industry, start a cannabis venture, or even for investors looking at the space? Think about how you can do something differently than everybody else. That's the nice thing about this industry is that not every niche has been explored already. I mean, we found one. Um, and they're, they're good. And one of the reasons I got here is, is that this industry was still forming. So there's still a lot of um, like uh, open space where somebody has not created a product in some aspect of this industry. And if, if you want, if you're on the product creation side, um, spend time thinking about, you know, um, how you can do one of the, one of these form factors better or how you can, um, you know, do, you know, manufacture one of these cannabinoids better or, or something like that. Because I think um, this is not, um, you know, one of those, this is not the steel industry that, you know, it's pretty much been figured out. Um, so it's, there, there's a lot of opportunity there. And I'd say spend the time um, researching like what aspects of this industry you want to be in because, and where, because it, that, those two things uh, can really drive your experience in this industry. You know, if you don't, want to be in a super competitive market, then California is not for you. It's, I mean, it's, it, it is, it's brutally competitive. Um, but that's what I wanted. I want, I want you know, I, I, we're all fiercely competitive and if we want to win, we want to win in the big leagues and that's why we're in California. Um, but you know, it, there is great opportunities in other places and there's in the market's totally different. Like you can be in a vertically integrated state, like, uh, you know, Florida or Massachusetts, and, uh, you can learn the whole supply chain within one company, which is, which is a fun experience and you can learn a lot. Um, so I, I'd say focus on those two things. And then I think this industry is heavily about networking because it's somewhat insulated, frankly. Um, nobody from the industry I worked in before works in this industry. Nobody had any connections. And you just have to kind of go out and build them. Um, you've got to go to get on LinkedIn. You've got to bug people and you've got to find a way to make friends. But on the other side, the flip side to that is this is one of the nicest, friendliest uh, industries you'll ever work in. Um, and, and I get to I get to say that because I worked in you know some of the you, you know how Wall Street is so um, I worked in some tougher industries and everybody's nice everybody's friendly um, everybody wants to see other companies succeed here um, and wants to see individuals succeed like I I still follow around people that I met at trade shows two or three years ago and and applaud them on their successes like it's amazing what people pop up and do in this industry um, because they have an idea because they've been around long enough. Um, you bounce around enough places, you'll, you'll come up with a good idea and you'll start something. So um, th that's the name of the game. Like I, I think we, we saw plenty of, of companies going out of business, but those people who, who were there landed well because this industry is still growing and they're, they're doing some pretty cool things elsewhere. Absolutely. Love that advice. And I completely second everything you, you shared. And I have, I have another question, which is, again, for my personal self-interest, because I'm based in New York. And New York is coming online with adult use. You know, it's a work in progress, but hopefully next year they'll actually open stores and, and things will be rolling. And so I'm curious when, when it comes to Kinslips and expanding to new markets, how does that process work? Or are, yeah. I, I know you're in California and Canada, are you in other markets as well? And, and you know, personally, I'm curious when will I see you in stores in New York and, and how, how can I help with that? Yeah. So you've asked the question that, um, 
we get into our info box every day is how where can I find these in New York or how can I get these in New York? So um, so, so the way we got into Canada was through a licensee. Uh, Alifia Health has been a great partner. They're a public company. They're, they're, they're a fantastic company and a good partner. And they've done a good job launching um, since November into the Canadian market. And they're the number one strip there. So, um, you know, they, they're awesome. What we've, the hardest part about being a federally illegal business is that you can't ship anything state to state. So uh, what's even harder though, is it's not just ship anything. It's that you can't, oh, you can't ship the final product, but you can't ship even in components of it. Um, so we would have to rebuild our assembly line and, and production process, maybe not in the same scale, maybe in the same scale, but we'd have to redo the whole thing in New York, um, which would require a license and some place to operate in New York. So if, if you know somebody's getting a license in New York and they have some space in their facility and want to set up a line, that is a great way uh, for us to get in there. Um, but we, that's the tricky thing about um, legalization at only the state level is that we would have to recreate our business in every state in the country that we would want to go to. Um, so based on that, I'm guessing that maybe you have a different view for the long term as far as, you know, federal will happen eventually, or we'll see some kind of change. And then you could expand in a different way as opposed to licensing out and finding partners in each state and going through that whole process, which, you know, is quite frankly is a ton of work. So am I right in, in that read? Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think what we talk about all the time is uh, the other foreign countries are easier because uh, when there it's legal, Canada's legal at the federal level, you have a, somebody who's established there um, and they can kind of take your brand and run with it and just give, they work with your, your marketing guidelines and they work with the, your IP. Um, and, th and that's easier. And we've worked and we've tried to keep the U.S. as a prized asset for us in, in terms of like many of these, these brands have, have had this dilemma. If you license now and you give up a bunch of your, a bunch of the U.S. territory to, to some other company, um, you're losing a lot of the opportunity uh, when things, if, if something legalization comes along and you've given up 49 other states to somebody else, um, it's a big opportunity you gave up. So um, we wouldn't, you know, for us, if we were going to do it, and you also don't want to end up with piecemeal either. Like I got this guy in Oklahoma, I got this guy in New York, I got this guy in Vermont, and, and all of a sudden you can't manage it and everybody's doing a different version of your product um, across the country. So um, we've been cautious about it. I wouldn't say we wouldn't do it if we had the right multi-state operator that covered a, much, a bunch of this, the country, right? But for the most part, we've really focused on, uh, let's work on international, let's keep going on international. Uh, Mexico is a huge opportunity. Um, and if the right thing comes along in the US, we'll go with it. Um, but if federal legalization happens in the next year and a half, we'll be thrilled that we didn't do it and we could start shipping this stuff. Yep, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Andrew, this has been a lot of fun. I want to give you the chance to to flip the script and, and maybe I can offer some value here through some coaching. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you have any business buzzkill or roadblock that we could workshop real quick. Okay. Yeah. So we've got uh, the cannabis industry in California has very, a lot of restrictions on advertising and marketing and, and, and we want to target specific demographics that we think are really good for our business. And, but to do so in a, uh, a manner that's compliant, which means you can't show, um, 
social media is very restrictive. You can't actually say things are for sale. Uh, billboards are restricted about what you can actually put up and show product consumption, all that kind of stuff. So one of the demographics we're, we'd like to really get after is gamers, programmers, software developers in California and trying to understand. And, and the trick with this demographic, not so much gamers, but definitely uh, software programmers, they skew introvert. And so they may not have as much word of mouth between each other. Um, at least uh, in-person word of mouth for sure. How do we tap into this type of a market? Like, and, and what would you say is a, like a business strategy to go after uh, an introverted market a crowd like that, but, but it has uh, you know, high disposable income that's perfect for this product that could use it during their programming sessions on microdosing? Right. Oh, I love this question. And I, I wish you would have asked me this. I, I guess it was... I don't know, three, four years ago, I did, I produced one of the first, I think it was the first, but the first uh, cannabis hackathon in Silicon Valley that, that I produced in San Francisco. So my, my first thought is to, to do like a hackathon or, or something similar that, you know, this target audience is, you know, that it's, it's kind of the old adage of meet them where they're at, right? And, and instead of reinventing the wheel, like where are these people already hanging out or, or, or spending time and discovering products? And, and how, do you, how do you show up there and make it really easy for them? So that, that's one, one idea that comes to mind for me. Another one is, and, and again, this is, I'm not sure exactly how you would, you know, execute practically on this, but Twitch comes to mind as, as a great platform to be on where, again, I, I don't think I've, I've seen a bunch of cannabis stuff on there, but I, I know there's certainly, you know, I've met people on there who are very interested in cannabis, but um, another thing that comes to mind for me, and, and this is not, I'm, I'm going to give the disclaimer that this isn't, isn't exactly coaching. I'm just brainstorming because I, I love this question. I wonder if there's like some some tech brands that are product brands that are a little more forward thinking that are on the tech side and have nothing to do with cannabis, but have, have that consumer base and have that and don't have the restrictions and that they could do some kind of contest or, or, you know, some kind of collaboration where you can kind of skirt some of those restrictions because kin slips isn't the focus, but it's just a part of some broader experience, which I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense what I'm saying, but I don't know. So, so that's kind of what uh, a few ideas that come to mind for me, but, and then the other thing that I'm thinking is, and I don't know exactly how this works. And I, I don't know, just for your, for your context, I, I'm a former Googler uh, and I was out in Mountain View. So I'm, I'm just like imagining I'm like, how do you get, how do you get someone internally at one of these big companies or, or find even like, you know, you mentioned earlier that you're starting a, a trade organization. Like, is there some kind of hacker group? And I'm using the term yeah. hacker, but as like, sure. you know, for just to, to get in front of these folks. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's kind of what comes to mind is like, how do you get into the inside, if you will, or. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking is like, maybe, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think 
where do these people spend their free time? That, that's kind of my other question, which I don't know off the top of my head, but how do you meet them where they are? So I don't know. Those are just a bunch yeah. of my random ideas. Any of that interesting? The, the hackathon or, or is great. Just... I, I mean, I, I like that idea. Um, I, the hard part, obviously, during COVID is where they are is at home. Um, so then um, maybe it's Reddit. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it's Twitch. I think you're, I think you're right on that. But I think you're right. There's, if there's trait, there's some sort of unofficial, like within Activision, there's a, uh, or, or one of these, one of these gaming companies, if there's a company group that's not officially funded by the company, so they, they don't have to go through the clearance with the, the parent, um, there may be something we can break into there, like a diversity group or whatever they are, or weekend, weekend gamer group. Um, there might be a way to an angle to get into that. That's what I'm thinking, but it's, uh, it's a lot of hurdles to jump to find those because you got to know somebody on the inside. Right. Right. And, and now I'm even thinking like at Google, for example, you know, all, all of these big tech companies, they do some kind of community service stuff all the time and employees are encouraged to go and volunteer and like, you have a certain amount of hours that you can go and just spend volunteering then you're encouraged to do so i'm wondering especially in california you know if you tie in with some kind of medical related cause where you know and i think your product yeah. is extremely useful for true medical patients right so if there's some kind of you know like good i i don't know what the right word is for it but some kind of good cause where you could tie in some corporate social responsibility and, and a good cause where it's, you know, for medical with, with, with the emphasis being on the science and, and, and all that, and, and kind of tie in one of these bigger companies. The other thing that, that comes to mind is, um, you know, there are some big hacker conferences. And again, I don't know what the status is these days. Uh, I'm thinking of like a DEF CON or like, something of that nature where you get thousands of these people that I, I believe are in your target demo are getting together at, at these events, you know, and, and again, because of COVID, it's probably not, not as hot right now, but my sense is things are gearing up again. Um, so I, I wonder if there's an opportunity to do some kind of activation with, with that. Um, but yeah, I know it's a tricky question, yeah. you know, and again, this is personally, this is like the stuff that's especially fun for me to think about, which is why I'm not really coaching you at all, but I'm, I'm just brainstorming, yeah. which, which is part of the coaching process. So that's my caveat for, yeah. for giving you something, but um, I don't know what comes to mind. I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I would venture to guess that there's someone in your network today or, or in the network of, of, of your team that can help make one of these things happen. And I almost wonder, you know, I really like the Twitch route. And again, I don't know yeah. who the right person would be, but yeah, as far as like who the right influencer or whatever, but like, I bet you could get a ton of ROI with just like giving the right Twitch streamer yeah. some, some kin slips. No, that, that's, that's a great idea. I mean, I think that's, uh, we don't. We know of Twitch. We don't have a gamer person in the company, but, but I. If we if we could, um, and maybe it's just myself or, or any one of us, studying some Twitch gamers and 
and and you know working relationship there uh without being the obvious uh commercial guy just trying to trying to get a free ad from them um so it's it's something that we're, it's on our radar um but i like the idea so and, and the influencer channels are certainly good i think that's it's one thing we've we've done well in music we've done well in um uh some actors and stuff like that but we've not cracked this channel so that's why i asked right nice it's interesting that's a great group to be in front of by the way because yeah i think maybe something with crypto i don't know may, maybe like a crypto conference potentially or because I, I feel like those guys are probably you know trade i think reddit's a good one for sure but um i don't know my whole thing and this is may may be stupid but i'm gonna go with it anyway which is like i'm all about the meme and i feel like especially with this group if you can like create some kind of become a meme for them in yeah. a way that that's that's like the word of mouth in that in that group i think so you know mm. I, I wonder if it's like if you could pun intended feed them some kin slips yeah. memes so i don't know that's I, I i actually really like that um okay no i'm, I'm actually gonna i'll talk to our, our marketing person about it because i i like the concept of getting one viral one or two viral memes on, on you know like uh you know took a kin slip played call of duty for nine hours one every you know so whatever it is you know find some sort of uh some connections there yeah exactly exactly that's uh, anyway that so that's what i got for you hopefully that's uh will spark some some successful campaign for the for the future for that group and who knows maybe someone will listen to this show and have a great idea and if that's the case reach out to me i can pass it along to, that'd be fantastic please do awesome all right andrew well with that said i want to be mindful of your time we're coming up on the hour here and so i want to give you a chance to to close us out if there's anything we didn't cover today or or anything that you just want to share with with the listeners um yeah the floor is yours as they say awesome thank you michael and i i enjoyed being on the show today uh for those of you who who want to learn more about kinslips we have a and if i didn't do a good job explaining something we have a video we created it that, that shows it in an animated format that's it's fun and interesting to learn about what we do and in and how we make it um and i think we've got a lot of blends whether you're a a THC user, a CBD user, or a CBN user. I think we've got a, a lot of exciting things and we're trying to cater to everybody. So as so we say, we're all kin and we'd love to, to invite you into our community. Amazing. Awesome. And then what, where can people find your products? They have to go to California if they're in the States? Yes. If, if they're not in Canada and they, um, and they can go to the Canadian licensee, Alifia Health, uh, it's, it's available there. And then within California, you have to go through a licensed dispenser channel. So we're all throughout Northern and Southern California. Uh, you can go to the store finder on kinslips.com and it will tell you where you can find the blend you're looking for uh, within California. Awesome. Amazing. And, you know, yeah. I I know you would never recommend this, Andrew, but I will recommend that, you know, if you go to California, these things are tiny, get a bunch of them, bring them back home, share with your friends, it, it makes a great gift. So, you know, that's just my two cents. And with that being said, Andrew, I want to thank you for for joining me here today. And it was great hearing some of your story. And all this talk about kin slips, I might have to go grab one right now. 
Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is. Hi, Mike Z is the cannabis business coach.